0: Affirming churches will sit back and watch queer people lose their rights and have to flee from dangerous situations because they thought they did enough by allowing queer people to show up.
1: Hi, I'm Chloe Gio, and you're listening to On God's Campus, Voices from the Queer Underground, a podcast about white Christian supremacy and being queer on the most conservative campuses in the country. Think of me as your guide and translator as we explore the carefully constructed subculture of religious education. Joining me are co-host Paul Carlo Southwick, our resident legal expert and historian, and Erin Green, our biblical scholar. What you will find here is a roadmap to change from the underbelly of the church's best kept secrets.
2: Hey friends, today we have an incredibly special guest on our podcast we'd like to introduce y'all to Kaylee Hargrove. Kaylee is a writer, theologian, ordained minister, and director of digital outreach for the Center for Prophetic Imagination. She lives in the greater Atlanta area with her partner and two kids.
3: Kaylee has been part of LGBTQIA plus activism, bringing awareness of the legalized discrimination queer and trans students face at religious universities. She received her Master of Divinity, emphasizing in Biblical Studies from United Theological Seminary of Twin Cities. Welcome to On God's Campus, Kaylee. We're so excited to have you here with us.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me.
2: All right, Kaylee, let's go ahead and get right into it. Um, Something that Paul, Kaylee, and myself all have in common is that we each have attended Christian colleges as LGBTQIA-identified people. Um, We attended those colleges for a variety of reasons. And I think Kaylee and I have a very similar story as to why we decided to go to one. Um, So Kaylee, why don't we start with why going to a Christian or religious college was really important to you?
0: Um, Yeah, I mean, like a lot of people, I think that go to especially seminary, um, because seminary is like... it's like the next step after like going to a college, like you at that point when you're working on your master, like, that is like, you're dedicating yourself to something. Um, and yeah, I went to seminary because I wanted to get a biblical higher education degree. And honestly, I did it because I want to, I, I want to teach the Bible, honestly. Um, and that's still something that I like, i desire to do um, so yeah i went to seminary to get my masters uh, hoping one day to be a professor um at like a <laughs> at like a christian university or, or something um but yeah like i'm sure that we're gonna get into that that's a much more um complicated <laughs> thing for for somebody like me to to be able to break into at this point but uh yeah that i mean that's why i went to that's why i went to seminary and to bible colleges because i wanted to go into a professional ministry professional christian education type of field
2: and i i did the same thing kaylee um i wanted to go to a a school where I could have like a biblical studies education or theological education specifically. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: I, I mean, you know, and I know that the only options for us are private religious colleges at that point. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, So we don't really have the option of going to a secular school when it comes to I mean there's a difference between religious studies and and theological education and biblical studies education. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my part of our experience, I think.
3: Maybe yeah. for a yeah. layperson like myself, could you explain just a little bit like what's the difference between religious studies and biblical studies because I think a lot of people might not know.
2: Yeah, Kaylee, do you want to do you want to go yeah, for that one? Yeah. So
0: I mean so especially for me um because I've uh, I come from the Independent Christian Church, which is, it, it's technically non-denominational, but it's, it's its own thing. Like, uh, it's it's kind of like saying Calvary Chapel is non-denominational, but it's, you know, it's a denomination. Um, and, and that, like, that was my tradition. So I went to Independent Christian Church uh, in colleges. I went to a, an undergrad at Boise Bible College and then decided to go to Lincoln Christian University because that was, um, well, at the time, there was really only two seminaries that offered master's programs um, w- within my, my tradition. And one was Lincoln Christian University. The other one was Cincinnati Christian University. Cincinnati ended up closing its doors like a couple years later. So even like even if I had tried to go to Cincinnati, I wouldn't have even been able to finish. So. um yeah, like that. That's kind of the difference, right? So if if you go to a seminary like, um, Chicago, like at University of Chicago, right, uh, you're gonna get like an overview of different traditions. You're going to get uh, an understanding of theology and stuff, but you're not gonna get that like, um, that the the teaching within your tradition and like that support, honestly, and that's a big thing. Is like having the support of the tradition that you are coming from and hoping to go into and and work within like your relationship with a higher education um, institute is actually really important to like developing connections developing uh like respectability within the tradition um it's (laughs) it's a lot more than just like going and learning about. Uh, uh, learning about religion it's going and learning how to be a like minister or something within your own specific tradition and this is why there's like um, uh, United Methodist Church uh, uh, universities and seminaries and you know like there's Lutheran seminaries like every every tradition has their own the, their own higher education that is focused within their tradition, um, and that's really kind of the big, uh, the the big difference is, it, it's not just learning about religion or theology or the development. It's actually like learning to be part of a tradition that you have been a part of for for honestly like most of your life.
3: And Kaylee we're coming at you from Portland, Oregon. Um, you. You, did you grow up in in Oregon or live here for a bit?
0: Yeah, actually I grew up um I I grew up the first 18 years of my life in Oregon. Um but not in Portland. I I grew up in 7 miles from California and on the coast uh in a little town called Brookings, Oregon.
3: Oh, it's beautiful down there.
0: It is. It's I didn't appreciate it when I when I was living there. Um and now I now I regret not taking advantage of living both on both on the ocean and mountains. So,
3: and is that where you first uh, were introduced to your religious tradition?
0: Yeah, I mean, I grew up in an independent Christian church uh, and went to the same church. Uh, I mean, so I I I was born in Klamath Falls, Oregon, but we moved to Brookings when that. About when I was a year old, so 17 years of my upbringing was the same church, an independent Christian church. That uh, and that was my tradition. Like I grew up in it the the whole time. So when I when I say I grew up in the independent Christian church, like it was everything grow, uh, growing up, and even after I graduated high school.
2: So obviously there's been an evolution in your faith and understanding of that like over the years. I would imagine how do you currently describe your faith or religious beliefs now?
0: Um so I still I still identify as Christian um and it, <laughs> even though a lot of people say that I'm not um and the the way that I give me one second to to formulate my thoughts Um, (laughs) it's totally fine (laughs) yeah so like a a big buzzword right now is deconstruction right and we talk about like growing up as evangelical which the independent christian church is a evangelical um somewhat fundamentalist (laughs) uh tradition uh but like we talk about growing up in evangelicalism and then deconstructing and becoming something else but I feel like that doesn't necessarily describe like my process because I don't like I don't feel like I tore down any of my beliefs. I it was more like honestly, religion is or Christianity is the thing that I love to study. It's a hobby of mine. It's something I I actually do in my free time. Um, and so for me, it wasn't so much like deconstructing. It was more of like jumping in and studying, like, what, uh, <laughs> what, what there is to know. And so, like, there's different, uh, there, there's different people that I studied that, like, opened my eyes to probably better understandings of different things. So, like, John, uh, John Walton, who is the professor of Old Testament at Wheaton. um. Yes, like, I've
2: read some Wal- Waltonian books. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean I, I, I agree with a lot of what he says, not everything, um, anymore, but like he still has even though he's like a conservative Bible scholar, like he actually understands the fact that um of, that Hebrew text is actually like in a genre and isn't meant to be taken like necessarily as literally as what we're we're told to take it. Um and really like taking getting an understanding of of how ancient documents are are meant to be understood like they aren't meant to be taken literal they're meant to be taken as as wisdom to be reflected on they're meant to be understood as poetic and um like understanding that uh being a linguist i was a linguist in the military for nine years and learning a uh southern southern asian language and how uh, linguistic psychology actually affects the way that we understand ideas and communicate and how that plays into like the development of ancient texts. Uh, like the more that I learned about it, it it was like the more that I came to understand, like a lot of this stuff that I was being taught in evangelical circles just didn't hold up anymore. Um, and it's like to, to the point where like, even using like very conservative hermeneutics and exegesis, like I became affirming because I followed uh conservative hermeneutics. And I, I mean that's that's kind of the interesting part of it is like even using even using the same biblical studies that like conservative uh, universities are teaching, um, you can still become affirming. Like, it's there. It's actually, you have to go out of your way to not be affirming. And, and, and that's, that's actually not an accurate way to, to, to describe it, because honestly, it's, we are given such a cultural context of unaffirming um, theology and ideologies that we, I mean, to, to use a conservative language, we're groomed to be uh, not, non-affirming of queer people like that that's just how that's just how it is like we are brought into a world where the uh the waters that we're swimming in are intentionally unaffirming and so like we don't even recognize the fact that we are taking on an ideology because it's been there the whole time and like that's that's one of the most like annoying things about uh unaffirming religious spaces is like the complete lack of understanding that what they take for what they take as um, like an innate uh, understanding of gender like that isn't actually true. That is given to us. If we look at other cultures that it doesn't hold up. Heteronormativity is not a universal experience, uh, but right. we and- act like it is. <laughs>
2: Like in the way that you speak and how you articulate your expertise, that you're so passionate about the text, about interpretation, um, about you know the truth coming out to folks about the biblical text. So, based on your expertise, what are the most common myths surrounding, especially trans people and the Bible, or within Christianity itself?
0: I mean, <laughs> the the biggest one is that um cis normativity the idea that uh the idea that people are generally cisgender is not um it's not a universal experience and it's not even the experience of the bible um right and like so we we've talked about this on an instagram live uh, between between you and me so people can go watch that uh also Just, you know this put in a little. little
2: it's on yeah. the reap on the reap channel on Instagram yeah. and it's also at prophetic imagination too on Instagram. um and
0: I think we thought it on our YouTube as well, but uh j- but just to like jump into it, like I'm oh, sorry, I cut you off, did not I?
2: No, please, please go like I was just gonna ask like, let's can you bust yeah. some of those myths for us like what are what are the most common or what are the ones that you are most drawn to about? those particular ideologies that are disseminated that are untrue about the trans community when it comes to the Bible.
0: Yeah. I mean, the biggest, so the biggest one is the idea that uh, a gender binary is like part of, part of scripture. And really, we only get get that in that idea in one place, uh, which is Genesis, Genesis one. And then it's also, repeated in what is it genesis five or six right before uh noah's story where where the idea of humanity being made in the image god it's repeated right anyways that's where it comes from right uh but but the problem is is that holding to a strict gender binary because there is a verse that says that god made humanity male and female it in order to understand that as a fixed binary, you have to read that single passage out of context. So like we understand that there are parts of creation in the creation order of Genesis 1 that don't fit into exclusive fixed categories. Like algae exists, right? If you read Genesis 1, there's not a single place in which algae should exist. It's a plant that lives in the water. According to Genesis one, plants only, plants only sprout out of the ground, right? But they exist living in water. Uh, There are frogs who, there are frogs who start their life in water, but then they move on land or, you know, in trees. Um, There are mosquitoes that start in water, but then are in the sky and would count as, I don't what creatures of the sky, which isn't, specific to birds but you know whatever you know there's emus that are birds that don't fly um (laughs) so they don't really have they don't really have a category so they're either part of the the creatures of the air or they're part of the the beasts of the ground but uh like later on like a few millennia later like we turn them into cattle, so now they now they don't have an original category, but we have forced them into a new category. Are emu farmers sinful because they've done that? Probably not. Um, and, and then there's like black holes, which nobody had an idea of whenever this was written, but they exist. And so there are all of these things w- within our universe that we can look and see don't fit creation categories. Um, and we're like oh those are okay because they like obviously these categories aren't meant to be like exclusive um and then we get to gender and we're like oh but these ones are so like the only (laughs) the only way that we can get to a gender binary in genesis one is to actually read the entire uh, read that one verse out of context of the entire passage which by the way is like against (laughs) exegesis class uh like day one like you're gonna fail the class if, if you're doing this right, right. um <laughs> and yeah, like absolutely. this is basic this is basic conservative <laughs> exegesis is you gotta read the entire passage like consistently if you're not then then you're actually like you're, you're doing, not doing a good job you're twisting scripture is what you're actually doing right. um so yeah like the entire idea that Uh, that there's a gender binary is comes from a really bad interpretation of Genesis one but then on top of that there are in fact uh, gender expansive people within the Bible like Joseph uh, is this person um, that is loved more than Israel's sons Uh, a lot of times they'll add the, the word other sons in in the passage in the English translation but it's not there like, in Hebrew, it literally says, uh, Israel loved Joseph more than his sons. Um,
2: right. Yeah, uh, That it's interesting that you talk about that with Joseph, too, because I wrote a paper my um, last semester in seminary before I graduated about how Ruth was non-binary. Um, and she is also compared to more worth more than seven sons. Um mm-hmm. So there's obviously that clear connection of of masu- like a connection to masculinity for her, you know, and a connection to mm-hmm. to filling what are traditionally male roles in the biblical text so i yeah. I love that you're finding and seeing these parts of the text, especially with Joseph, that are clearly pointing towards trans characters in the Bible
0: mm-hmm. Uh- yeah and and joseph like joseph is so clearly gender expansive that the only like the only way to miss it is to like intentionally miss it which we have an intentional culture that that tries to force gender binaries so that even if individuals aren't intentionally missing it like it is an intentional um, misunderstanding by, by our culture um but joseph like the clothing that joseph is given um And I'm going to keep using Joseph. I know some people when they talk about this will will change their name to Josephine or something. Um, I'm just going to keep using Joseph because that's just the only name that's actually given. Uh, And let's be honest, uh, a a name doesn't determine your gender. So I think Joseph using Joseph is fine. Joseph is given a garment that uh, is is not under like we don't know what it means exactly. Uh, and we don't exactly know what it looks like but it is in fact defined it's, it's defined in 2 Samuel 13 whenever Tamar is wearing the same thing and the author of that passage is like oh hey people probably don't know what this is so i'm going to define it for you this is the garments worn by the virgin daughters of uh, uh of past rulers um a lot of times it gets translated as kings but the word malek uh really just means ruler doesn't necessarily mean king because it can mean like a local like area ruler anyways it's a little linguistics for, for that no
2: it's okay oh. it's clear it's clear that you are a bible yeah. wizard so <laughs> let's just put that out there right now <laughs> uh
0: yeah so so the literal the, the literal garments that joseph is given biblically and it's biblically uh defined is the garments worn by virgin
2: daughters (laughs) um Ah, okay
0: yeah so like the like you have to go outside of you know conservative biblical translation to uh translate it as anything else like we're taught whenever we learn uh like in first semester hebrew class we're taught hey if you don't know what this word is and the meaning is uh, like unknown you can look how it's used elsewhere and maybe you can find figure out what it means based off context well It's used one other place and instead of just using context to figure it out. It's literally defined so the The, the only way to interpret what Joseph is wearing as something else is to break like conservative translation rules <laughs> um, which which we do because yeah, because yeah, that's, that's what we do. We can't have something outside of cis-normativity, right? Right, um, we
2: have to break those rules, or we have to break those norms, not, I shouldn't yeah. say rules, but norm, what's normative um, in order for our communities to survive.
0: Yes, but uh, yeah, uh, exactly. Um, and and that, I think that's one of the things like why there's so much push against recognizing queerness in the text is because it really does challenge a lot of fundamental understandings like whenever i say that uh it's a bad translation it's not just i'm challenging the translation it's the fact that i'm challenging the entire worldview that says that it can't be the translation and that makes people really mad <laughs> like, oh
2: i love that though i i love that so much
3: Yeah, Kaylee, I was going to kind of jump in with a theology and the law question. Since, uh, you know, Aaron's the biblical scholar, I'm the legal scholar, and you are right in the middle of both um, because you're a plaintiff in our uh, Hunter versus U.S. Department of Education case. And you filed a Title IX complaint against Lincoln Christian University um, because they uh, denied you admission for being trans. And um, I just wanted to ask you about um, some of what they said when they uh, the school requested a religious exemption from Title IX, which would allow them to take federal money while discriminating against you. Um, And I just want to read how they are justifying it from their belief system and what response you might have to that. as the person who got expelled uh, or denied admission, and and also as as a biblical scholar in this tradition. So here's what Lincoln Christians said to justify their ability to discriminate you based on their biblical beliefs. They say, gender is defined as a person's physical condition as male or female at birth. Gender modification or medical procedures to become transgender are considered sexual immorality. And then they say a biblical worldview does not support an elected transgender lifestyle. Now, I want to acknowledge they don't cite any scriptures in this part, okay? Mm. (laughs) They do cite scripture, but not regarding gender identity or being trans. So I'll just like kind of your reaction or how you would respond to that as the person expelled by this belief system and as a biblical scholar in this tradition
0: yeah um so the, like the first thing is that's like they don't even understand uh modern usage of language <laughs> because the what they're like the way they frame it is just completely devoid of reality uh because people like to become transgender is the like Nobody understands trans identities in that way. A person is trans before they do anything medical, right? So to them to say that a person becomes transgender, just first of all, <laughs> like shows how much they're actually devoid of like reality around them. But from from like a theological perspective, especially within this tradition, this tradition is in, is supposed to be inherently non-creedal it is not supposed to have a set of beliefs that holds it together what is supposed to hold it together is a unified uh, a unified uh, acceptance of Jesus that's it so the fact that they are uh, defining what is sexually immoral which by the way is is a complete misunderstanding of sexual immorality as it's talked about in um, uh, in the scripture in the bible and like even in greek class that i took we taught, we ex we looked at the tra- the words that are translated for sexual immorality like <laughs> the the people like teaching in this school don't understand uh sexual immorality as it's used in the bible to include trans people they don't necessarily think that it's it's okay to be trans but they do understand that like Biblically speaking, it doesn't include being trans. Um, so like they have to go against what they're teaching. They have to go against their entire tradition in order to come to this conclusion, which to me is completely baffling on the legal level, because on the legal level, you're supposed to like show that this is part of your tradition. That is part of your beliefs. Well, you act, they actually have to break from their tradition to have this standard to uh, exclude people so to, to me it's it's completely ridiculous and the fact that uh, that the Department of Education is even listening to their stance is uh, beyond me because one it, it shows that like the Department of Education honestly they don't care about uh, beliefs they're there they're there to make sure that they get a return on their student loans so it's all about money and they'll, they'll screw over students left and right to, to get their money. But from like the point of Title IX is to protect students, they're not doing that. They're intentionally not doing that. They are looking at a, an institution and saying, hey, you are a real person and not this actual real person. And we're gonna like give you religious, religious liberties to uh, intentionally discriminate against people that we have said can't be discriminated against Um, that way we can keep this money flow going and and that's really what's going on like it's it's not about religious beliefs like Lincoln Christian University literally made up their stance it's it's not a traditional stance it's uh, the language isn't even like common (laughs) evangelical language against trans people. Like it's literally just made up and the department of education doesn't care. And they'll, they'll, they'll continue to, they'll continue to throw students on their bus because they get that, uh, that payout, um, from, from student loans, right? Because they get interest off student loans. And if, if if people are still using student loans at a university, um, like they're getting that back and what's like. I didn't have to take out student loans i was using the gi bill and it covered it um <laughs> i got screwed out of some uh gi bill benefits because of what happens to me uh but if i also if i had taken out student loans i would have to pay that back with interest so like they're they would literally be making money off of my discrimination and there's there's people that have that were using student loans that are being kicked out of out of these universities and they're Uh, They're having to pay back with interest those student loans, even though that they're being expelled when the government has promised to protect them. So it's it's complete like the most unethical uh, (laughs) stance possible is like like this is the thing that I don't think people understand. Our federal government, like even under the Biden administration, who uh, will tweet out, hey, trans people, your president has your back. No, shut the fuck up. You don't. Oh, sorry. I don't know if this is a swearing oh, podcast.
2: Oh, it is but, now, Kate. Oh,
3: yeah, you can uh, do it.
2: But, yeah, so, but
0: like, just shut up because you don't. You've done nothing to protect trans people. And you are you are leading a government that is literally making money off of our discrimination.
2: Absolutely. But, yeah, President Kayleen, Biden, he do you have a microphone? Do you have a microphone in front of you because you should just, oh, just drop just it, it. <laughs> but, mic drop moment
0: but like this is the, rea- the reality of the situation is we have a federal government that is saying to our face hey we're going to protect you while making money off of our discrimination
3: queer, trans, and non-binary students um, who are often, you know, younger people. I know you went into seminary um, as an adult after um, a military uh, career, but a lot of kids are coming into these schools when they're 17, 18 years old. And the Trevor Project has published studies um, talking about the mental health impacts on, on queer youth, but also how a lot of queer youth are have really strong attachments to their faith and so they're stuck in this place of trying to battle between their faith and their identity and it can be a really scary place so why do you think it's important for the world to understand that 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 some queer trans and non-binary people have have strong faith beliefs while also Having strong identities as queer, trans, or non-binary people.
0: Yeah. Um, so I think that you kind of highlight two things. One, the fact is, queer people, uh, like like non-queer people, do generally have an understanding of spirituality in some form, right? And the the idea that Christianity is is against queerness is completely messed up. Like Jesus <laughs> Jesus said that people would become eunuchs for the kingdom of God. Like eunuchs in the first century were one seen as gender expansive they didn't they didn't fit a male role or a female role so they are literally outside of the gender binary also they were culturally assumed to have sex with both men and women because they couldn't procreate it was culturally acceptable for them to be bisexual and jesus is saying hey some of you are going to become eunuchs like Jesus literally telling people of the first century, hey, some of you are gonna be in the kingdom of God, and you're gonna be queer. Like, it's literally there. Uh, but the idea, like, there's this narrative that Christian Christianity means conformity to a heteronormative understanding, which doesn't match uh the world that the Bible was was uh like existed and what like was written about, like the The fact that we have those standards is not bi- is not biblical. It's a, literally a development over two thousand years to exclude people. Like the, we can talk about history all we want. So the fact that we the fact that we are here today and there's queer people with spirituality, like it's because it actually still speaks to queer people. Like there is stuff to get out of the the stories of Jesus, get out of the stories of Joseph, get out of the stories of Ruth. The entirety of the Bible has things to be reflected on. And there's real connection to um, between people and their spiritual life through this tradition. And to, to think that that isn't happening is uh, <laughs> one tech, like to use Christian terms, uh, it's really blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, you know, the unforgivable sin <laughs> to, to say that the Holy Spirit uh, is unable to work in a certain way, like that, that's literally like what is um talked down about a lot uh within the bible um to to create these standards that uh shouldn't apply to everybody like paul writes about that type of stuff all the time peter has this experience about um things that people thought were unclean and god's like no these are clean like there are these stories of like over and over saying hey stop putting these expectations on people that aren't meant to be lived up to and that's like t- entirely part of the christian tradition that we've tried to like cover up but then on top of that on top of that like what you brought up like the mental he- health aspect like i like i do have a per a spiritual like faith i have a faith uh, that falls within the christian tradition right when i went to lincoln i took a class on um I don't remember the the name of it. It was technically a uh, missiology class. So the study of missionary stuff. And we literally read a book on uh, one of the yeah, one of the assigned books was on uh, LGBTQ plus people. And in this book, like I had actually I had realized I was trans. I hadn't like started transitioning or anything yet. But like that realization was still there, and we read a book that was literally teaching students in the seminary, and also like I'm in this class with people that are going to become military chaplains. So these are the people we're sending into the military to chaplain our armed forces. Um, <laughs> that is teaching is teaching us to call trans women trans men, like to hold on to uh, their assigned gender. It like it's it it was literally teaching us to intentionally misgender people, and uh completely like gave completely gave understandings of like being gay, being trans that completely ignored the experience of actual people. It's like uh <laughs> it's like somebody watching a like five minute youtube video on something and then coming up with an entire ideology to dismiss a large portion it's of large humanity. humanity like that's right, which, really what it which was happens it all the time
2: book. yeah that's awful yeah, yeah. i mean, I mean
0: and, and so like that was that was an assigned uh reading and we had to talk about it and have discussion on um on what this book had to say and the like the worst part is there were three people in my class, it was an online class, it was an online discussion, who revealed that they had same-sex attractions, um, and, but they were, like, basically they were kind of side B-ish. Like, they, they recognized that they had attraction, but uh, wouldn't, like, accept the, themselves as who they are and believed that their attraction was sinful. I guess that's not side B exactly. Um, because side people say that the attraction isn't sinful, but acting on it is, but like these these other students are like younger than me. They were like probably in their early twenties saying, yeah, I have same sex attraction and I've been praying to have it uh, taken away and I've been living celibate and all these things. And it's just like, yeah, there is a mental health crisis with queer people in spiritual institutions because We're literally being told that our existence is sinful like like, absolutely and it's
3: it's it's so harmful and there's so much shame about it. Um, We've got one more question that we want to ask you that's related to this.
2: Yes. Um, And speaking of Bible standards that suck. um, Why do you think purity culture is stupid? (laughs) Just get into it. Yeah. Uh, And uh, why does it harm people in our community? Yeah, Um.
0: so yeah, we're gonna go over time on this one. All right, we're gonna go back all the way to the Victorian period. Um, so for those who don't know, the Victorian period under Queen Victoria, that was really when a lot of, of uh, like purity standards started to be developed, like Queen Victoria was really big on covering up every part of femininity, right? Um. However, like this idea of wearing uh, wearing revealing clothes was actually a form of highlighting who was uh, 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 creating a hierarchy essentially because rich people were able like rich women that or women part of rich families were able to cover up more than you know peasants right and peasants were outside uh the women had to be more active they couldn't wear the things like Queen Victoria was able to wear. So then revealing uh, like outfits that revealed any part of a person's like uh, anatomy would be then seen as like lower, like lower on the hierarchy. Now, we take that <laughs> we take that European understanding of of this idea of modesty, right? And we <laughs> attach it to colonialism. What happens whenever Uh, white Europeans go into say Africa or the Americas and they see these people that don't have this modesty standard that was developed by rich European people. And they see these people that aren't dressed in the same way as them. Well, they decided to use that narrative to say that these people are sexually deviant and they don't adhere to modesty. And uh, because of this, they need the Europeans to go like civilize them, right? And so modesty, in fact, became this way of uh, uh, of justifying oppression against uh, colonized cultures. Uh, it it became um, it became part of the narrative that people from Africa were sexually deviant, and that justified things like slavery. It justified the narrative that um, that black men, especially after slavery was was done away with, black men were Sexually aggressive, and that Black women were, um, basically like sirens, right? Like that they would lure men in, and it became this narrative that, uh, that had been developed over a few centuries, and it was used to further oppression and discrimination against Black people. It was used to erase indigenous cultures because indigenous cultures in the United, in 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 what is now the United States, had two spirited people, and that's. I, I get that that's um that's our current word for it, and they had their own words. Um, uh, but the umbrella of Two-Spirited it existed, but Europeans tried to erase that culture and force Christianity on uh, on these um on Indigenous people because uh they they felt that they needed to enforce their I- idea that Europe had become the peak of the, the, the peak of civilization, and that they needed to civilize other cultures. And so they intentionally tried to erase indigenous people's cultures, especially around queerness, because that didn't fit into their understanding of sexuality. Now, <laughs> that that's super important, because, like, control over sexuality, gain gives people control, uh, like, let's there be a hierarchy and lets people control others who don't live up to that standard. Um, and that so this is also like that this becomes a means for uh, basically white <laughs> white Christian supremacists to force a narrative on anyone that looks different than them because they're able to control uh, like the world The world understanding of of sexuality and stuff, and be able to create a hierarchy off of sexuality. Not let like, when we talk about this, it is all about control. It's all it is an abusive structure that doesn't doesn't allow for consent. It doesn't allow for I mean, honestly, it doesn't allow for men to actually have a healthy understanding of a woman's sexuality or a non-binary person's sexuality. Um, it it places it essentially places white men at the top as this not as the non-sexual like entity and, and the further that you get from a white cishet male uh the more sexually deviant people are seen within our culture and that was developed over centuries. And so like uh <laughs> and so it, it has become a means of control.
2: All right, now we're gonna do a portion of the podcast where we ask you a question specifically from an LGBTQIA student who has attended a religious college and it's called Chloe's
1: Corner. I see a lot of Gen Z leaving the church or walking away from Christian spaces because of the way Christians have treated queer people. Obviously, there are plenty of churches that are outright hostile to queer communities. But even the churches who are quote, affirming, often aren't willing to actually put their beliefs into practice to help with systemic change. And that rubs someone like me the wrong way. It feels like pastors are far more comfortable hiding behind their pews than they are marching alongside queer people in the streets. I've heard you explain this as a difference between allyship and solidarity. Can you explain what that means to you and what you believe churches or other organizations should be doing to be in solidarity with queer people?
0: Yeah, I think that that is, I mean, that's honestly the biggest thing right now is we're really kind of stuck with with two different types of churches we got evangelical churches on one side who are even if there are some that are affirming like the vast 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 majority of them are not um like 99 percent. and then there's mainline churches that are affirming at maybe a, uh, probably like only like 50 percent and those are like the liberal progressive type churches um so what we end up having is an entire, like, structure of Christianity that isn't even, that, like, there isn't even an area where there is a primarily affirming space. But even that, like, there's this idea that once a church becomes affirming, like, that's, like, that's the point. Um, and Crystal, you're uh, not on mute. <laughs> no worries. And. And like that, that in, in and of itself is a problem. Affirmation is actually only the first step. Like, great, you can, you'll can you let a trans person come in and use the bathroom that they want to use. That is actually really helpful because there's churches that want to do that. You uh, let queer people be part of your leadership and be part of the service and all these things. But the problem is like, you can let queer people in as much as you want. However, uh the you still have to deal with the fact that you might live in a state where queer people aren't accepted <laughs> like if you're a an affirming congregation in say florida like there is actually things going on that are making queer people leave your state and the it takes more than just welcoming queer people into your church like it is hard like you it is hard to have an open table if your state isn't an open state so the fact is is churches if you affirming churches will sit back and watch queer people lose their rights and have to flee from dangerous situations because they thought they did enough by allowing queer people to show up and that's not enough if you if you want to express your understanding of affirmation uh, of god's love for queer people you're gonna have to leave your church walls and you've got you're gonna have to show up at the at the state capitol at the at the nation's capitol at your local local school board to actually stand up and speak for queer people right now there's so much going on against trans uh trans people especially trans youth um that like it's it's incredibly scary and and the things that are being said are literally things like nazis said to, to about queer people like uh nazis didn't actually start targeting jews first they started with queer people um and that's something that we don't recognize like there is actually a an effort to legalize yeah so there's an actual effort right now to like legalize uh, essentially a form of cultural genocide against queer people by like removing actual history books and not talking about queerness within certain stories because it doesn't fit the heteronormative understanding that a state wants to push. Like if you want to be, if you are a church that wants to help queer people, you've got to get out there. You've got to speak up. You've got to be that person that, uh, fights alongside, because if, especially whenever it comes to trans people, like if it's left up to trans people, trans people are not going to win. There's not enough numbers of us. There is, are not enough voices. There are, there's a lot more money <laughs> than, let's face it. That's a big thing is the amount of money that is going into anti-trans legislation. Like we're not going to win. We need people that, that, that say. They affirm us and who we are to actually stand up in solidarity and speak up, show up and be the type of people that are like, hey, if you're going to target my trans sibling or my uh, bisexual sibling, whatever, if you're going to target them, you're also going to target me. And unfortunately, we have a lot of affirming churches that are like that will sit back because they don't feel that they're in danger. And so they'll do the bare minimum to welcome within their church walls and will let uh, it will let everything happen outside the church that is literally harming queer people and literally taking away our rights.
2: Kaylee, it has been so amazing having you here. Um, where can people find you online right now?
0: Yeah, um, so mostly I uh, everything that I'm doing is through uh the center for prophetic imagination which is where i work um and i'm sure that there is a link to that uh but yeah I'm. if you see stuff on social media on our facebook instagram twitter threads because threads started like two days ago and <laughs> we're on that now uh yeah center for prophetic imagination um pro- yeah prophetic imagination on uh facebook instagram and threads uh prophetic center on twitter but we will probably move away from twitter if you see if you see our org posting anything that's me um so you can reach out to me through that uh you can gain some of our other resources um watch the watch the video that uh aaron chloe and i did on instagram and all that stuff so yeah everything i'm doing is through cpi um and yeah you can you can find me there
2: Kaylee, thank you so much. This experience has been absolutely wonderful.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
1: Thanks for tuning in to On God's Campus, Voices from the Queer Underground. I'm your narrator, Chloe, alongside co-hosts Paul Carlos Southwick and Aaron Green. This podcast is a product of the Religious Exemption Accountability Project and is produced by Crystal Cheatham from Our Bible App. Listen next time as On God's Campus examines the lessons history has to teach us about where predominantly white Christian educational institutions and the political machines backing them are taking the country now.